Hello everyone. Falcha, welcome to the Incomparable History of Ireland podcast. This show is to share the richness of this ancient island. It's Misha Lauren. I am Lauren, your host on this journey through the stories of this Emerald Isle. I represent the Clan Nagel of Delaware, an Irish society for the education of Irish language, history, and culture. This episode is the last of the mythological cycle before we move on to megalithic structures and then the Ulster cycle with Queen Maeve and Finn McCool. Today, the stories are The Children of Lear and Gawain Sarah. We'll start with The Children of Lear. When the Tuatadana ruled over Ireland, there arose a conflict over the, who the next high king would be. Two chieftains emerged as the strongest candidates, Lear of Dervera and Beau Derig from Munster. They were evenly matched in almost all ways, but when it came to choose between them, one thing swayed the people to Beau Derig's side. Beau Derig was married to a woman of his equal, and Lear was alone. Boderig was made king, and Lear returned home empty-handed and pretty angry. Boderig was worried that Lear might be angry enough at his defeat to start trouble or even rise up against him. So to make peace between them, he invited Lear to come to his castle and visit. After feasting for three days and three nights, he asked Lear which of his three beautiful daughters he liked best. Lear replied that he thought all of them were fine, but he loved Eve the most. Now this has had, of course, been Boderic's plan all along, to make Lear part of his family through marriage so that the other man would be bound to him by ties of love and friendship. Eve and Lear were married and returned to his home, where they were very happy together. Their joy only increased when Eve had a child, a daughter named Finola. Then again, they were delighted when Eve bore a son named E. When Eve began became pregnant again for a third time, they eagerly awaited a new addition to their family, twin boys named Khan and Ferrera. The strain of giving birth to the twins was too much, and shortly after they were born, Eve died. Lear was distraught. He missed his wife terribly. But he consoled himself with his children, delighting in them, keeping them close by him all day, and all of them sleeping together in one big bed at night. His favorite thing was to hear his children singing, their sweet voices twinning in beautiful harmony. Boderic was sorely grieved when he heard of his daughter's death, and he asked his other two daughters if one of them would be willing to go to Lear and be his new wife and help him take care of the children. Aoife agreed to the match, but Aoife found that there was no room for her in that house. Lear barely paid attention to her. All her, all his focus was on his children, who did not need or want a mother because Lear already doted on them. Shut out of his happy family, Aoife grew pretty bitter. She thought long and hard about her situation and saw no way out for her but one. 
One day she went to Lear and asked him if she could take the children to visit her father, Bo Derrick. Lear was a bit reluctant to let the children leave his side. They had never been apart from him since the day each of them had been born, but Aoife had the children so excited to go and see their grandfather that they began to beg him to let them go, and at last he relented. Aoife set out with the four children. On the way, she stopped at Lake Derva, not far from their father's castle. She got down from her chariot and told the children to go swimming. It was a hot day, so the boys ran straight into the water, throwing off their clothes. But Finola paused, full of misgiving. She asked her stepmother if she was coming in with them, but Aoife did not reply. When the four children were in the water, Aoife pulled out a wand and transformed the children into swans. At the last minute, seeing the look in Finola's eyes, she amended her curse, leaving the children their human voices and their human reason. Transform the children wept. They begged their stepmother to undo the curse, but Aoife was unable to change them back. So powerful was the spell she created. Instead, she put an ending on it. She told the children that they would have to spend 300 years on that very lake. 300 years on the stormy sea of Mola between Ireland and Scotland, and 300 years on another lake, and then would regain their human form when a king's son from the north married a king's daughter from the south. Then Aoife got back into her chariot and went to visit her father. She spent a month with Boderg and told him the children were still with their father. When time came for her to return, she told Lear that the children decided to stay with their grandfather. But her deception could not go unnoticed forever. At length, Lear set out to fetch his children back, and both he and Bo Derrick were shocked when each realized neither had the children. Both men raced back to Lear's castle to confront Aoife, but on the way they heard the sound of the children's voices coming from the lake. Lear searched high and low for his children along the lakeshore, but he couldn't find them. And the only living things on the lake were four beautiful swans. But then the swan swam over to him, and he heard his children's voices speaking out of the birds' beaks. They told him what their stepmother had done to them. In retaliation for her crime, Bo Derrick transformed Aoife into a demon of air, and she went off shrieking into the sky to be buffeted and blown about. And when the wind blows hard, sometimes you can hear her shrieking still today. Lear did everything he could to ease the children's transformation. He brought his whole household down to the lake shore, and he held feasts and games and entertained all day long for his children, so that they could almost forget that they were swans. At night, they would swim out over the lake and sing for their father's people on the shore. It's amazing how fast 300 years moved. Then the day came the four children were compelled to fly away. They took their leave of their father and his people, promising to come and find them after the 300 years of the Sea of Mola uh, were passed and they took to the air. The Sea of Mola was a vicious stormy place and the four swans were buffeted by high waves and shivered in the cold winds. 
Finola found a jagged rock for them to perch on, and they agreed if they were ever separated by rough waves and weather, they would look for each other there. The first time a storm blew in, they were scattered from each other. Finola came first to the rock and waited long for her brothers. One by one, bedraggled and exhausted, they made their weary way to the meeting place. Finola placed her brother E uh, beneath the feathers in her breast to warm him, and took Khan and Fira under one wing and sang to them to keep their spirits up. Every time a storm came, the swans were scattered, and Finola held her brother in its uh, her brothers in its in its aftermath. In the summer, the sea was stormy and rough, but the winter conditions were even worse. The icy water was so cold it froze their feathers and it broke them away, leaving their raw skin exposed to the stinging salt water. It was just a miserable existence. That 300 years passed really slow. At last the day came when the swans could fly back to Ireland and to go to, to the last of the lakes they had to stay in. They, do, they took a little detour on their way, flying over um, their father's lake, hoping to call out to their father. But they flew over tumbled stones and grass growing through cracks and saw no sign of the, their, their father or his people. The time of the two at Adana had passed while they were gone, and their father was gone. Sadly, they settled on a lake, and though they grieved that they would never see their father or people again, they were so relieved to be on a gentle lake after enduring such hardship on the sea. A long time passed when a monk named Malachi came to live on an island in the middle of the lake, and he began to build a monastery there. He saw the four beautiful swans swimming stately by, but he was shocked when he heard them sing and speak in human voices. Malachi spoke to the swans and told them, um, Malachi, when he talked to the swans, they told him their sad story, and he in turn told them about his God and the stories of Bi the Bible and Jesus. And Fanola and her brothers were very interested in this new faith and asked to be converted, but Malachi explained that as they were swans, they could not. He did, however, continue to teach them the new faith, and the five of them had many spirited conversations. The swans would sing for Malachi in the evening glorious melodies and sad songs of the loss of their old life. One day, a messenger came to the lake from the king's son of Munster. They told Malachi that their master was going to get married that very day to the king's daughter of Ulster. And for the wedding gift, the bride had asked for the four swans for her betrothed. They had heard the swans on, on this lake were magical and sang, and they had come to bring the swans away with them to give them to the bride as a gift. No sooner had they caught the four swans and pulled them from the lake. However, the feathers melted off their bodies, and they turned into their human forms. This wedding had fulfilled the final condition of Apha's curse. They were restored, but when they looked at each other, they could, could see that they were not the bright children of Lear any longer. 900 years old, each of them was wizened, white-haired, 
ancient with with wrinkles so deep knowing that they would not live long now that the magic that was sustaining them Fanola begged Malachi to baptize them all so they might get to heaven together he did this and with her last breath Fanola told him her last wishes that her brother E be buried in her breast Khan under her right arm Fehra under her left the way that she had held on to them when they were swans in Dublin at Parnell Square there's a garden of remembrance it was uh, dedicated to the memory of those who gave their lives for the freedom of Ireland there's also a magnificent copper bronze statue that stands there on the stepped area walking through the serene flower beds and pools to the far end of the garden it's the children of Lear statue and it was designed by Oshin Kelly and it symbolizes change resurrection rebirth and reincarnation the last story is about Gobon Sayer he was the greatest craftsman and builder who ever lived in Ireland he built mighty castles for lords and for each of the Ireland's five kings though he was most famous for his skills as a builder he could fashion a spear shaft in the time it would take you to count to 5 and made spearheads with only 3 strokes of a hammer when he wanted a ha to hammer and nail a high beam he would just fling them in the air and throw his hammer after them catching it as it came down and driving the nails into the beam in this way he was able to get through the work in 10 men in short order his fame spread all over ireland and after a time his reputation reached the king of england the king of england decided that he wanted goban sayer to build him a castle a bigger and finer one than any other king had at any time but he fretted that some other king could wait until his was built and then hire him to build a better one so the king of england decided that the only way to make sure this didn't happen was to wait till his castle was built and then do away with goban sayer knowing nothing of his treacherous intent the goban set out for england with his son they hadn't been on the road long when he told his son to shorten the road for me perplexed the lad hadn't a clue what his father was asking him and so the two turned around and went home again the same thing happened on the second day and goban's wife took her son aside and asked him what was going on when he told her she explained the riddle to him and sent them on their way for a third time the next morning this time when goban asked his son to shorten the road the son took his mother's advice and told his father a story to entertain him and make the road seem shorter. The first house they stayed at on the journey had two daughters living in it, one dark-haired and hard-working who didn't sit still all evening, and the other fair-haired and charming who preferred to sit with her hands crossed, talking by the fire than to do any work at all. And Goban saw the girls were about the same age as his own son 
and told his son he had a mind to ask for one of them for his wife. But he said, we must find out which is better match for you. So he called both daughters to him and gave them three pieces of advice. If they wanted to get a husband, the first to always keep an old woman's head by the range. The second to warm themselves on a cold morning with their work. And the third to take a sheepskin to market, come home again with the skin and its price. The rest of their journey was long, and on their way they helped out anyone they could. Go on, go on, helped a poor man who was trying to roof a circular building using only three joists, none of them long enough to span the whole breadth. He made two grooves in one end with of a stick and fitted them together so that they might make a triangle in the center, and with the arms of the joists resting on each edge of the roof. Later he met a group of carpenters, carpenters who were struggling to build a bridge with neither peg nor nail in any part, and he showed them how to construct a brilliant bridge out of posts and crossbars that were stronger and more weight was put on it. At last they came to the King of England's site, and the Gobon and his son set to work building the castle. It rose up out of the ground like a mushroom. So quickly and skillfully did they work, people came from miles around to watch it be built. It was not many days before the castle was almost complete. That night, a servant girl came to visit Gowan and his son, and she spoke both Irish and English, and she had overheard the king's plan. She warned Gobon that when he climbed the scaffolding to put in the final capstone, the king had arranged it that the scaffold would collapse and Gowan would be killed. Govan Sayer thanked her and thought how best to get out of this. He went to the king the next day and told him that he always finished a building with a particular charm and there was a bit of magic in it, but that he had forgotten his tool for it. Can my son go back and get it, he asked, but the king refused. He didn't want Govan Sayer's son to go free either in case he might one day be his father's match. He offered to send somebody else instead. But Gobonsaire explained to the king that his wife would not trust just anyone with this special tool. If it wasn't to be him or his son, it would have to be someone royal blood. So the king of England agreed to send his own son to get the tool. Gobonsaire told him to ask his wife for the cor y ere uncom, an Irish phrase which meant crooked against crooked. Sometime later, the servant had gone, and the king of England's son returned, downcast. They reported that the prince was having the best time with Gobon Sayer's wife, enjoying great hospitality and game, but that she refused to let him out of her sight, and all, Go uh, all of Gobon Sayer's people were preventing him from leaving and said they would not let him go until her husband and son were back home safe and sound. She, of course understood her father, uh, her husband's riddle. The king of England was furious, but there wasn't a thing he could do about it except let Gobon and his son go. For their part, they held no grudge and finished his castle to perfection before they left. 
On the way home, they stopped again at the house with the two daughters to find out how they fared with Gobon's advice and to figure out which one would be good for his son to marry. The fair-haired girl spoke first. She said, I did exactly what you said, and it was a disaster. First, I dug up an old woman's skull from the churchyard and hung it over the hob, but it frightened everyone so much I had to get rid of it. Then on the cold morning, my mother told me to card flax, so I threw it in the fire to keep myself warm and got into terrible trouble. And the worst was when I went to the sheepskin market. I asked all around to find out how to get the price for a sheepskin and be able to take it home with me, but all the merchants laughed at me, except one man who offered to give me the price of it if I followed him to a tavern, and that upset me so much I left. Well, at least it shows some sense that you left, said Gobon Sayer. Now your dark-haired sister, how did she get on? The second girl stated to the answer, but an old woman sitting close by the fire spoke first. I was destitute, she said, until this girl came and found me. She's a distant relative of mine, and she made sure I've been sitting in the warmest place in the house since she got me right here by the fire. That was what served the girl for the old woman's head by the range. When he asked her about the cold mornings, the girl replied that she had so much to do and was always keeping her hands and feet moving, so she didn't really feel the cold. Then he asked her how she fared with the sheepskin. The girl replied, I stretched it, I plucked off all the wool, sold the wool, and I brought the skin home with me. The Gobon was so delighted with this and asked the man and woman of the house there and there if they would consent for her to marry his son. And if her husband ever mistreats her, I'll have me to answer to, he said. The match was made and Gowan sent for the, his wife to bring the Prince of England to the wedding feast on his way home to his father. Such was his immense popularity in Irish folklore that a saint was actually canonized with his name in the 7th century, Saint Gobon. The line between myth and reality blurred forever. Goramahagat. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Incomparable History of Ireland. Please leave a review so that I can get better and better at providing these for you. And also, you can visit my Facebook page, Clan Miguel, Delaware. My next episode will be on the megalithic structures of Ireland, and then we'll move on to the Ulster Cycle with Queen Maeve and Finn McCool. Slana give. Goodbye, everyone. Godi on Haid Ur Ella. Until next time.